0: It's Friday once more, and there's no time like this moment to begin to tell you about information that's been waiting for you to read or listen to. The purpose of Charlottesville Community Engagement is to bring you as many stories and articles about the community as possible, on as frequent a level as possible. I'm the host, Sean Tubbs, and I want to make sure that you know that no Sean Tubbs were harmed in the creation of this June 17th, 2022 episode. On today's program, former Charlottesville Police Chief Rochelle Brackney files suit against the city, alleging she was fired for trying to reform what she called a racist department. The General Assembly meets today to act on Governor Glenn Youngkin's amendments to the state budget. A quarantine on moving some materials around parts of Virginia to stop the spread of the spotted lanternfly will soon be extended to Albemarle and Charlottesville. Charlottesville's Board of Zoning Appeals upholds a determination related to a future Wawa, and the Albemarle County Service Authority reports it's ready to guard against forever chemicals in their drinking water supply. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, have you ever wanted to learn as much as you can about how to preserve and protect trees? The Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards are opening up registration for their fall series of online training sessions and field activities running from August 9th through November 19th. Full tuition details are at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. And if you want to get a feel for what you may learn, there's a public tree identification walk through the grand trees spanning the front areas of the University of Virginia on Sunday, June 26th. Attendance is limited, so register today. The House of Delegates and the Senate convene this afternoon in Richmond to finalize budget amendments recommended by Governor Glenn Youngkin. Youngkin wrote in his recommendations for HB 30 that he approves the general purpose of the bill, but returned it without his signature with 35 amendments. One of the largest amendments is a three-month suspension on the state tax on gasoline and diesel beginning on July 1st. Legislation to accomplish this goal did not pass the General Assembly earlier in the special session this past April. A bill introduced by Yunkin passed the House of Delegates, but did not make it out of the Senate Finance Committee. Another amendment would make it a Class 6 felony to picket at the residence of a judge, juror, witness, or court officer. The amendments cover both the current fiscal year and the next one that begins in two weeks. So financial amounts listed below are split over the biennium. These include two full-time positions to support the Lieutenant Governor, an additional $300,000 in salary increases for staff in the Office of the Attorney General, $300,000 in state funds to the Virginia Department of Agricultural and Consumer Services to add staff to expand inspections for new meat processing facilities. An additional $3 million for the Virginia Economic Development Partnership Authority. An additional $4 million to expand the Early Reading Specialists Program to schools that rank lowest in performance the redirecting of $5 million in financial aid assistance to students at Norfolk State University and Virginia State University. $2 million in additional funding for an innovation center to be built on an historically black college or university, as well as another $4 million over two years for increased security at all of the Commonwealth's HBCUs. million in funds would be redirected to support the University of Virginia's program on constitutionalism and democracy. There's $160,000 going to the Douglas Wilder School of Government and Public Affairs at Virginia Commonwealth University to research ways to increase opportunities for K-12 students. $2 million over two years for the Hampton Roads Proton Beam Therapy Institute at Hampton University. $2.35 million in each year to hire 36 security guards for state-operated mental health treatment centers. Another $200,000 would go to the families of the security officers killed at Bridgewater College earlier this year. And an appropriation of $50,000 would be made to prepare more prison beds for those arrested for picketing at a judge's house. There are also new policies that have been introduced into the budget. All public universities will have to demonstrate an official commitment and set of policies and practices to support freedom of expression and inquiry, free speech, academic freedom, and diversity of thought. The University of Virginia at Wise is authorized to offer graduate programs. All state funding for any abortion-related service would be prohibited unless required by federal law. Bail would be waived for certain criminal offenses, and participation in the new community lab school program would be expanded. Youngkin made three amendments to HB 29, which is known as the Caboose Bill, as it looks back at previous budgets, including the current fiscal year. These include a $26.5 million increase in revenue for fiscal year 22 and $15 million for site preparation work enrichment in, in an account called the Property Analytics Firm Infrastructure Fund. The state entity that oversees management of invasive species will expand a quarantine on the movement of certain products to help slow the spread of the spotted lantern fly. The Virginia Department of Consumer and Agricultural Services has sent a letter to localities, including Albemarle and Charlottesville, notifying them of the new rules. Here's a June 15th letter from David Giannino, the program manager for the Office of Plant Industry Services. The Spotted Lanternfly Quarantine requires a permit to ensure that businesses are taking steps to guarantee regulated articles are free from Spotted Lanternfly. To obtain a Spotted Lanternfly permit, completion of an online training course is required, and businesses must then apply for the permit with VDAX. According to the letter, the Spotted Lanternfly is known to feed on grapes, peaches, apples, maples, walnuts, hops, cucumbers, and basil. The insect was spotted in Frederick County in January of 2018, and a quarantine has been in place there, Clark County, Warren County, and the city of Winchester. However, surveys conducted by VDAX indicate the bugs have been found in the cities of Buena Vista, Charlottesville, Harrisonburg, Lexington, Lynchburg, Manassas, Stanton, Waynesboro, and the counties of Albemarle, Augusta, Carroll, Page, Prince William, Rockingham, Rockbridge, Shenandoah, and Wythe. A wide range of materials are regulated, including live or dead trees, lumber, vegetation, shipping containers, outdoor construction materials, equipment trucks, recreational vehicles, and more. A complete list is available in that letter. Information on how to get a permit is available on the VDAC's website. Albemarle County Supervisors was briefed on the Spotted Lanternfly back in February, as I reported. Go back and take a look at that story in a link in the newsletter. Officials with Tiger Fuel attempted yesterday to overturn a decision by the city's zoning administrator that affects the future layout of a proposed Wawa on Fifth Street Extended. This one gets a little technical. Genevieve Keller is the chair of the Board of Zoning Appeals.
1: The applicant contends that the prescribed front setback for gas stations in Section 34-931H of the zoning ordinance are more lenient than the front setback for
0: structures in the highway zoning district. Keller said that Tiger Fuel believed zoning administrator Reed Broadhead should have used Section 34-738 instead. Tiger operates a convenience store immediately to the south. The details are way above most people's understanding. Here's Reed Broadhead. It's a little complicated, I know. Gordon Sutton, president of Tiger Fuel, tried to simplify the argument. We are asking you to determine which of the two standards is more restrictive, the highway commercial regulations or the gas station regulations. Sutton said the highway commercial zoning should apply, and he said his company has had to work under those rules in the past. Attorney Valerie Long, with the firm Williams & Mullen, represents the property owner, R.B.D. Pennant Creek, LLC. Virginia Code specifically provides that uh, you are to, the board is to presume that Mr. Broadhead's determination is correct. And the appellant, Tiger Fuel, has the burden of proof of proving otherwise. Long said their scope of review was solely whether Broadhead was correct. This is not the appropriate venue for a business owner to be attempting to stifle competition from a prospective business owner or a property owner. Long said the zoning rules for gas stations are written specifically to safely govern such a use, and that Tiger Fuels' interpretation was not germane. After a public hearing and brief discussion, the BZA voted unanimously to uphold Broadhead's determination. On Wednesday, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency issued non-binding health advisories on the presence of certain chemicals that do not break down. But first, Tim Brown explained that there are thousands of different chemical combinations that were created to make products that are water-resistant, heat-resistant, and grease-resistant.
1: Every chemical is, um, is um, distinct by the fact that the element fluorine Uh, is a component of the chemical. And the carbon-fluorine chemical bond is a very, very strong one. What does that mean?
0: It means these chemicals
1: don't break down
0: in the environment. Brown said health risks include liver failure, hormone imbalances, cancers, and suppression of immune systems. A lot of nasties in there potentially... The EPA is currently promulgating new regulations to require monitoring and to seek to lower the acceptable level of PFAS compounds to near zero.
1: It was um, almost borderline um, startling
0: uh, information. Brown said the current acceptable standard is around 70 parts per trillion for PFAS, and the new regulations could take that down
1: now going down into the fractions of parts per trillion, which in essence is in the parts per quadrillion level.
0: Brown said one issue will be that current test equipment may not be able to detect those levels. He said he felt the EPA advisories are intended to signal water producers across the country to take the issue seriously. He said the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority have been testing for PFAS twice a year since 2019. 18 compounds, PFAS
1: compounds, were tested at all six of our treatment plants, both in the raw water and in the finished or treated water. A total of 216 PFAS uh, compounds, there were zero
0: detections. Brown said the new standards will be announced in September to be effective in the fall of 2023. He said the ACSA and the RWSA will continue to monitor the situation. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, Camp Albemarle has for 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and the occasional private program. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a Civilian Conservation Corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities. Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge, a structure built in 1941 by the CCC and used by every 4th and 5th grade student in Charlottesville and Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. If this campaign is successful, Camp Albemarle could operate year-round. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarleva.org/donate. One more long segment to go today with no sound bites. Former Charlottesville Police Chief Rochelle Brackney has filed a lawsuit in federal court against multiple parties, alleging that, among other things, the city of Charlottesville acted unlawfully when former city manager Chip Boyles fired her last September. She's seeking $10 million in damages. In addition to Boyles, Brackney's complaint in the Western District of Virginia also includes former city communications director Brian Wheeler, city attorney Lisa Robertson, acting police chief Latroy Tito Durrett, former assistant police chief James Mooney, current councillors Cena McGill and Lloyd Snook, former councillor Heather Hill, and former police civilian review board chair Bellamy Brown. She also named Mike Wells of the Police Benevolent Association as a defendant the suit builds on a claim filed with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission soon after she was fired by Boyles. In a series of facts, the complaint seeks to establish that Brackney was hired in June of 2018 to bring empathy, community-oriented training, and years of law enforcement methodology to the table, following distrust after two specific incidents in the summer of 2017. Paragraph 31 says that, Her priority was to stabilize the police department by building rapport with its employees whilst simultaneously empowering them to challenge their personal assumptions regarding policing in the 21st century. As part of that work, Brackney collected data on all divisions of the police department and according to the complaint, concluded that members of several of them, including the Special Weapons and Tactics team, were not up to that task. Assignments were not based on strengths, but decades-old, archaic practices such as nepotism, favoritism, genderism, and racism. The complaint describes Brackney's attempts to reform, such as converting four positions to civilians rather than sworn-in officers. One of these was the public information officer. More training sessions were to be held, as well as taking minutes at department meetings. The complaint alleges that these actions angered those who resented having a black female at the helm of a police department, particularly one in the South, with a conservative undercurrent. On June 3, 2021, Brackney received an email and video from a community member claiming police conduct by a specific officer, and she took action on the complaint. That action included dismantling the SWAT team and firing or suspending officers she found to be involved through a subsequent investigation. In paragraph 61, the complaint states that Bellamy Brown and Mike Wells in early August put together a survey for Charlottesville police officers that Brackney claims was intentionally negatively worded and targeting plaintiff as a result of the investigation and disciplinary actions described above. Paragraph 66 alleges a conspiracy between Brown, Hills, Wells, Snook, Boyles, Mooney, and McGill to out Brackney as the chief. The next one states that Boyles expressed confidence in Brackney's leadership on August 26th of 2021, as evidenced in a secret audio recording she made of their meeting. Brackney was fired on September 1st, and paragraph 76 of the complaint quotes Boyles' September 3rd press release, in the first of many iterations used to advance her complaint. In the quote, Boyles states that in order to dismantle systemic racism and eliminate police violence and misconduct in Charlottesville, he said a leader would be needed to be knowledgeable in that work, but one who could also be effective in building collaborative relationships with the community and the team at City Hall. Boyles ultimately concluded that new leadership was required. The complaint continues to list specific incidents that Brackney considers libel. Paragraph 89 accuses Robertson and Boyles of falsifying documents and offers that Brackney has secret recordings. Brackney seeks a trial by jury for all of the counts, including one alleging tortious interference with employment contract Another claims unlawful retaliation, and another claims that Brackney acted as a whistleblower, and another alleges defamation, and another claims a business conspiracy that involves Wells, Brown, and the named city councilors. More on this into the future. And that's it for this now past edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement as we say goodbye to number 397 and we get ready and wonder when 398 will rear its head. Will it be tomorrow? Will it be Monday? Will it be Tuesday? I'm not even entirely sure as I finish up this one. There's a lot of information from this week that I hope to get to. And of course, I really would like to offer up that uh, Charlottesville Community Engagement is paid for by readers and listeners. And of course, many of you, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably have already made some sort of a donation or contribution either through Substack or Patreon. If you haven't, as you may know, Ting will match your initial payment through Substack. That's a really great way to get me additional funding to help pay for this. There also is Patreon, if you want to step up and fund Town Crier Productions and all of the various things that we're doing, well, just me, if there was a we, we'd have a lot more information. And that is my ultimate goal, is to continue building what we've been building together as you guys read it, listen to it, and I produce it. The whole point is to cover the community. And that's of course what I set myself on a pathway to do a long time ago. And uh, I can't seem to escape that path, nor that I want to. There's all sorts of things I think are important for people to know, and that's what I do every single day. Coming up in the next couple of days will be the Week Ahead newsletter that looks at next week's meetings, and then there's the government glance, because I'm crazy enough to think that there is a market to cover the entire 5th District of Virginia, the Congressional District. If you're interested in any of those things and helping to pay for it, please drop me a line. Love to talk to you. But of course now it's time to get on with this production and to get ready for the next one. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I want to thank you for listening. And I want to tell you, stay cool out there, stay hydrated, and stay informed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Goodbye.